I'm going to forego receiving an offering till after this guy preaches. Um, and I have my purposes for that. Uh, I, I have had the honor and privilege of being around some wise, integrous, um, did you just ever meet somebody and you know in their heart that they're pure? And um, this man and I haven't got to spend vast amount of times together. But Daniel, every time I'm in your presence, the heart is just overwhelming to me. And uh, it's just honor to call you friend and to, to work with you. Uh, and Daniel's going to share his testimony, so I'm not going to launch into it because I want you to hear it. And uh, would you welcome Bishop Daniel Sapula from Canada? Bonsoir, mon nom c'est Dani Zupula, je suis dans la joie d'être ici avec vous et de partager avec vous la parole de Dieu. Do I hear an amen? It is a joy for me to be here and uh, really thank you so much for the friendship and the love that you extended to me and my dear wife and family. And uh, I just want to send greeting from our the local church in Canada, as well as uh, my family, uh, Sarah and, and the kids. I just want to say thank you to the International House of Bishop for your love, uh, your trust in me. I'm probably one of the youngest and oddest of bishops being ordained, and I apologize for the inconvenience, but it is a joy for me to be a part of it, indeed. Uh, I also want to extend grace and love to Ed. Bishop Ed has been such a great friend. He gave me a lot of headaches whenever he come to Canada. And, uh, and before I chatted, he said, don't mess it up right now. Don't mess it up. Whatever you have to say, say it well. So he was giving me heck already. So with that out of the way, I wanted to share a little bit uh, from the Word of God and then share my, a little bit of my testimony with you as they asked me to, 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 to share today. Uh, Michael, I just want to say thank you for the cross, uh, your favorite cross that you gave me. Uh, I am beside myself and uh, truly uh, shocked and touched by your love. And to you and Beth and your whole family extend all my love and genuine love. What are we to drink? That's what I want to speak to you about. What are we to drink? A little bit about the constancy of God in hostile environment. Constancy, by, by that term, we mean the quality of being faithful and dependable. What are we to drink? There's something about the natural mind the scripture say in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, that the natural mind and the natural man cannot fully comprehend the things of God, for they are spiritually appraised, evaluated, and appreciated. But when it comes to the actions of God, they are always strategic and intentional. 
we should always trust him when he's not doing something because he's doing something you don't yet see. And that there is a mystery in how God shows up and how we show up in God's plan. Let me read with you the text, a text in Exodus chapter 15. It goes like this. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What the heck shall we drink? <laughs> then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his command and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs, 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Now, the Christian journey, it may be analogous to the exodus of the Hebrew people. We are told about their journey from Egypt to the promised land. And it seemed to be a continual cycle of the three Ps that you all know very well. A promise, a problem, and a provision. The sense that the Christian life is driven and uh, moved by a prophetic word and sense of direction. That you and I are part of a prophetic imagination that is way beyond our own understanding and comprehension. And that there is a promise and a word in season for you. And there is something about your life that escape even your mere understanding. There is a promise over your life. There is a song, Amazing Grace. He said, the Lord has promised good to me. The sense is that we all, there is a promise that is hovering over your life. And, and that everything about your life, sometimes everything that came, comes against you seems to want to abort that promise. And that uh, it takes a morphology of a, a problem. And problem always manifests in many ways. And we will talk briefly about them. And then it's crowned by God's provision. So now, notice this. They could not drink its water because it was bitter. So the problem that is manifest and that the children of Israel experience here on their journey to the promise that was over them as a nation... Because the promise of God is not just over you individually. It's over you as a family, as a cell group, as a church, as a village, a city, a nation, and a world. That the promises of God are yea and amen for each and every one of us. And that it encompasses everything that we are as individual 
and as society. But notice this, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. So they responded, so they ran into a situation uh, that they didn't like. Sometime in our journey, we find ourselves in places and spots that we don't quite like. It doesn't taste good to the senses, the six senses. It doesn't feel good at all. It's awkward, and it seems like you want to get yourself the heck out of here quickly and fast enough. It's, there's something in us always that seems to react to the day that it is. There's a lady who wrote a book that saying, Receiving the Day. It seems like there's something in us that just doesn't seem to be okay with the day that it is. It's an awful day. It's a sad day. It's not a good day. I'm not happy about today. It's too much, too much snow today. It's a snowy day. It's a bleak day. And, and all the adjectives that we can add to gossip, to critique the day that it is in our lives. And quite, uh, quite often we are so busy criticizing the day and critiquing the day that we never welcome the day that it is in our lives. Because we want it to be sunny and today it is not sunny. I wanted the weather to be one way or the other as if it behooved us, it, fell, it falls on us to decide the day that it is. And yet the Lord wanted you and I to know that there is a great God in heaven and it ain't you. And so it, it is that we find ourselves as we tackle the day, our greatest struggle is to receiving and welcoming the day and having a redemptive presence in our world. But here's the thing, because what is driving our world is anxiety. The key to a Christian life is cultivating a non-anxious presence. The job of a pastor, of a bishop, is to decrease the level of anxiety in the community. The world is an anxious place. Our politics is full of anxiety. Our economy is full of anxiety. Our education is full of anxiety. You are always told your children are not smart enough. But the work of a father in a family is to decrease the anxiety level. That's the job of a mother. You see, when you go into your home and there is so much anxiety and kids are running all around about and even animals are manifesting that kind of anxiety, notice the enemy operates by increasing your anxiety. But what did David say? Lord, see if there be any anxious way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The way everlasting is a way of peace with our world. Peace with our God. Because anxiety have a subtle way of deleting and distracting and fracturing our connections. We get to see many people who come for help, but their biggest problem is that they're not connected. But the enemy mounts so much anxiety and it disconnects us. But in our case, the problem manifested in this existential question. What are we to drink? I know your brain is going already to Jesus' word. Don't worry about today. It will take care of itself. What shall we drink? What shall we eat? Here is about what we are to drink. Notice this. For three days, they are looking for water. Three full days. They are in the desert, 
and they are looking for something so they are thirsty. In our journey as Christians, sometimes there is a thirst in that. Your thirst can motivate you to look for new streams. Your thirst can motivate you to move on. But God had called them from a land of Egypt to a land of a promise. And sometimes he used thirst to guide us and to move us along. Now, notice this. The only reason they came to Marah is because they obeyed God. It was not because of a disobedience that they came to Marah. It was precisely because of their obedience. And sometimes we find ourselves in places that we are and we don't like it. And our reaction is seem to say that as if we fail to understand that when you follow the plan and the word of God, even when you do, there are still challenges you must encounter. And those challenges are not meant to destroy you. They are meant to build your character because charisma without character is a disaster in making. When you have no character, it's like giving a loaded gun to a mad person. Notice this, the bitter situation they encounter in the desert at Mara caused them to second guess the Abrahamic promise they have heard in Egypt and their place in it. Always and everywhere, whenever we encounter a bitter event, traumatic event, we have this tendency of second guessing the call and the prophetic call over our lives. If we will tend somehow to second guess that that promise was given to us in the hostile territory in Egypt. And you begin questioning your place in God's calling. They did not lose their vision, though, of a promised land. No, what they lost was their focus. Their lost focus. A little sip of bitter water soured their appetite for their collective destiny. As a movement, as an organization, as a people, as a family, sometimes a little bitterness, a little conflict, a little something, and we tend to disintegrate. But even bitter water works for God. It is in places like Mara that God circumcises your heart before you enter your promised land. If you should ever find yourself at Mara, be assured that God sent you there to make you whole. What can make me whole again? Now, sometimes the whole journey is about wholeness. Sometimes uh, if, if God, I ask God for certain things, if he gives me without my character there, I will abort the promise that is over my life. Wholeness. Holiness means wholeness. And so, uh, in, the same, in the same way that Jesus sent the storm on the disciple when they were in the, in the, in the water, so too uh, they found themselves here. Notice the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Now, let's make a little post-mortem. They lost sobriety of mind and consciousness of who they are. That's what the problem was. Sometimes situation may emerge and you will lose a sense of who you are in the situation. And you begin defining yourself by what is external to you. 
You begin defining yourself by the circumstances or someone say the mountains around you. You begin talking about those mountains instead of talking to the mountain about how big your God is. And yet, so these people live their lives like they lost sobriety of mind because the problem, they got drunk in the problem. They got too consumed with it. Second, they live from the outside in. That's what I will speak, I'll speak about it as a spiritual infestation. Bitterness and solemn frustration paralyzed and fragmented the people. And they failed to cultivate a non-anxious presence, like I told you earlier. And lastly, they lost sight of the constancy of God when they tasted a sip of bitter water. What then is the antidote to a bitter water? Here's a question. Can bitter water be transformed into sweet? Can water be transformed into wine? Can order come out of chaos? Can God make something out of an impossible situation? Notice this. The Lord showed him a piece of wood. Every word count. The Lord showed him. It was not just any ordinary thing. It was a piece of wood. That would be the antidote. A piece of wood. Now, let me talk about that piece of wood. It was an ordinary piece of wood. In fact, some of the translation talk about a piece of a tree. It's like a branch. It was part of a whole tree. You know, it's, it's quite unbelievable. That piece of wood didn't know that there was something special about it. If you ask, have a conversation with that piece of wood, did you know that, that actually Moses was to come and select you? No, 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 I didn't know about that. If you ask that piece of wood, since, you know, it would tell you since he was born, I didn't think something special of me. I didn't think there was something unique about me, my person, my presence. I didn't believe, I didn't know that there is something curative. There is something redemptive about my presence. I didn't know that there was something that counted about who I am. And yet, God knew exactly what he was doing. But there were better wood, better piece of wood in the desert. But it was that particular one. It did not know it. But before the foundation of the world, it was selected for a task. <laughs> For something unique and profound. Notice that the Lord showed him a piece of wood. It is so great when the Lord show you. In a situation, no matter what, each one of us may be going through a lot of situation. Sometimes the solution is only in a piece of wood. Ordinary word used to cause extraordinary results. You see, notice this. The piece of wood was not imported in. No, when the problem emerged, the piece of wood was selected from the environment. A reminder that for every local problem, there is a local solution in a little piece of wood. And for El communion, each and every communion, 
Whatever problem and challenges we encounter, you do not need to import the solution. Because God have already embedded the solution in your midst. And in your family, whatever it is that you are encountering, God wants you and I to remind, to be reminded of this truth. There is just a little piece of wood. It's part of God's providence. He never creates bitter water without a piece of water nearby. The antidote was quite pastoral, a piece of wood. It's like a staff. David speaks about a piece of wood that is his comforter. He said, your rod and your staff, (laughs) they comfort me. Moses dropped a little piece of wood and it became a snake. He even parted the water with a little piece of wood. There was a situation that happened with the son of a prophet. The, 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 the prophet was gathering, gathered, and they were at work. And uh, just the iron, the, the head of, the, of, of someone's instrument, it fell. The axe fell into deep water, muddy water. Elijah found that little piece of wood and threw it into the water. And the submerged axe floated. What is our piece of word that can make things float? What is our piece of word that can transform to snake? What is our piece of word that can part water? Some years later, Jesus Christ died and was crucified on a little piece of wood on Golgotha. Always it seemed that the solution to the world's problem is a little piece of wood. Notice this. He threw it into the water. So long as you throw that piece of water, uh, that piece of wood into a troubled water, it will clear it. It will change the nature. It will change something about that water. It make it from a water you cannot drink to a water you can drink. It can transform water into wine. He just threw it into the water. If you were that piece of wood so long as you were thrown into the mix of that dirty water, something transformation happened. Notice this. And the water became fit to drink. We want water that is fit to drink. I always find it easier to identify with the problem, but all too often I don't see the piece of wood, the solution which is in front of me. And not only that, when I am that piece of wood. And so it is of my life. I did not know there was anything uh, unique about my life. I am 33rd of 35 brothers and sisters. My mom had eight wives. And when I was born, uh, life seemed to just like any other person. Uh, I was born some 50 years ago. And, and so my mom was the last uh, wife that my father married. And that brought a lot of contention and fight in the family. Uh, in a few years, five years later, something tragic happened. Deep famine hit the land and people died. And my mother, uh, she got sick. She lost her eye. And then she was crippled with polio. And then she starved to death. And then me, I was left with one of my little sister, and uh, and so I was given to a, a a lady to take care of me, 
who did not like me. And that's when trouble multiplied again. That's when I was then rejected, uh, uh, abused as much as you can think of, rape, used at least by 40 people in my life, and I found myself just abandoned, forsaken, enslaved. Prostituting myself to others, not by my own will. And so it will be from pain to pain to pain and agony, drinking bitter water and not thinking that there was something unique about my life. And it is in the house of my master that one missionary sent from Canada, when he's still alive today, can testify to the story, 96 years old, when they became believer, was in his late teen, he felt the call of God to go and to reach the French West Africa. It is that man who would come and rescue me and buy me. It's a guy who spoke prophetically over my life and said, God has something powerful to do with this man. My form, in terms of form, I was very small, very weak. There was nothing unique. But somebody saw, not with physical eyes, but with eyes that are deeper. He saw prophetically into my situation, and he prophesied over me. And then he helped me go to school. And it will be, few years later, I find myself just studying, just in the backyard of that same missionary. He was surprised when he saw me some 30 years later in his own country. And he said, are you kidding me? I said, you know what? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never run to an end. They are new every morning, but great is his faithfulness. You see, like the word of Mary, may your word to me be fulfilled. And so it would be. I finished studying there. And then uh, uh, 1995, the Lord spoke to me uh, after I tried to commit suicide. And he spoke to me. He said, I have something for you to do. Sometime when you taste bitter water, you may think when you lost in yourself and your problem, you have a false, a pseudo view of yourself you may decide that the best way to do it is to take your own life. And so it was of me on a Christmas day. It will be then that the Lord will speak to me. Say, I brought you here so that you can go back. And go back in ways that will be redemptive, in ways that will multiply, not subtract. And so I started an organization called Bridges of Hope International. Uh, it was all about rescuing and buying back child slaves and prostitute, and kids that were sold and thrown away. And so suddenly, there was 1,800 babies. Three out of five babies died. And so it led me to start just a clinic. And then from there, uh, it said, well, you couldn't, so we started a school. And then from there, we started a college, and then a university. And then we 23 countries later, here we are still bringing just this message of compassion, buying and redeeming people because one person 
redeem this little piece of wood, so ordinary, so forsaken, so hidden by the dust of history and the dust of slavery and the dust of rejection, the dust of, rebuke, uh, of abuse and the dust of my own pain. And so, today I stand here. I'm born again, redeemed, dusted up, and I'm ever more conscious of the promise of God over my life. And Mara still speaks today. So, pay attention to the message of a miracle of Mara. Often the message of a miracle is for other seasons beyond the horizon of right now. But remember his constancy. God is constant. The scripture said in 1 Peter 1, 24, 25, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass wither and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And so, Cultivate a non-anxious presence in the world. I am not worried about anything. You got problem? <laughs> I got worse. But my presence in the world may not be driven by anxiety. Cultivate a non-anxious presence. Don't be entitled. You know what? A good day, bad day is the same thing. This is God's day. This is the Lord's day. Receive each and every day. Don't criticize it. And by the way, you don't need to be liked. It's okay if people don't like you. What about you make you think think that everybody must like you like that? What's wrong with you? If people like you, if you like me, it's your own fault. If you don't like me, it's your own fault. Like me and hate me at your own risk. You know what? It doesn't really matter. I am unoffendable. You can't offend me without my permission. Here it is. I'm free. How about you? Receive the day that it is. Live a Eucharistic life. Be thankful. Be mindful. Be grateful. And lastly, discipline your appetite. You see, this whole story of Mara was a question God brought a taste that was strange to them. They just haven't tasted bitter water. But sometimes your bitter water is only a setup for a greater glory that yet God has to manifest in your life. God bless you. Asked me to pray over you and over for us. Father, we thank you that each and every individual is placed here as an answer to a specific thing that you know. And so I pray over each and every single person here. Father, anybody who might be experiencing a bitter Amara moment. And that before we enter our promised land, we have to go through Mara. 
It is appointed for each one of us to, to go through Mara. So for many of us, Mara feels so profoundly wrong. It feels like a mistake we have made. For many of them, Mara may feel like a defeat, a failure that they have felt. Mara may have felt like it's like a vision that has aborted, a church plant that is not growing, a family that is living in disaster and so much grief and anxiety. Lord, I pray, Father, for a supernatural visitation of the Lord over your people. Oh, Jesus. Son of the living God, have mercy on your people. Touch your people. Grant them the grace to endure and to go through Mara. Because beyond Mara, there is seven streams. Seventy trees and twelve streams. Father, you say anyone who believes in me, out of him will come not bitter water, but... <laughs> Rivers of living water. So fill your people with good things. And restore their faith and their trust in you. We plead you, majesty. Touch your people in your own mysterious and gentle way. And grant them the grace to redeem their presence in this world. And that their presence will have an added value in this place and beyond the border of what they know as possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Are you blessed to come? For those of you that are part of this church, it's awfully hard at times for me to explain to you why I believe God brought me into this communion. And every once in a while, you get to, I get to share with you the people, the leaders, the grace, the gifts of God that have drawn me into this family. And I only pray that the people that call this place church understand the depth of grace and mercy and gifting that the CEEC is so blessed to have in its midst. Wow.